Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is the Daily DC Impeachment Watch, a podcast dedicated to the latest reporting and analysis about this effort to remove President Donald Trump from office. The dust is still settling from yesterday's monumental impeachment vote. We're recording from Los Angeles today, where the final presidential debate of the year is taking place at 8 p.m. Eastern time. CNN and PBS are both broadcasting the debate. Be sure to tune into that. I'm here in the Golden State with two of my esteemed colleagues, CNN senior Washington correspondent Jeff Zeleny and CNN political correspondent Abby Phillip. Thank you so much for being here, guys. Hey, David, great to be here. Happy to be here. So we were just looking at the historic front page of the New York Times, big banner headline, Trump impeached. I mean, it it smacks you uh, in the face when you see it of just what a big moment this was. But I guess my question for each of you, Abby, I'll throw it to you first. What's changed this morning in our state of American politics since the president's been impeached? It's it is a huge moment. And yet I don't know if anything has truly changed. I don't know either. And I don't think anything really has changed, except that history was made yesterday. And we know, based on the president's behavior and his own comments over the years, that this is something that he's thought a lot about, strangely, that he um, has always viewed as being one of the worst things that could happen to a president, because it is. And he's he's thought about it and ruminated on it about other people. And now it's happened to him. But at the same time, we're in this weird moment in our politics where I almost feel like uh, the it feels a little bit like the gravity of impeachment has taken us a, a little bit of a step back because I wonder, after all of this, if there is anything that President Trump could have done that would have resulted in Republicans supporting his impeachment. And to me, that is the that's the question that comes out of all of this is that I'm not sure what that answer is. I it just seems totally like there agree. is really nothing. It, it, that is the question of the Trump era in, in many ways. And, and Jeff, um, I guess one difference that we saw is that in the last three years, we haven't really seen Trump have a moment of accountability. So th- that did occur last night. But we also saw, you know, with that moment of accountability, knowing that it was coming in all the polling that's come out this week, his standing has not really changed with the American people. It hasn't. And that's because he has been driving this debate as well. As Speaker Pelosi has been you know, very disciplined about leading the Democratic side of this argument, really urging Democrats to not cheer, the look on her face as she sat in the rostrum presiding over the uh, debate uh, a flick of the hand and a shush, basically, to her members to not applaud. She's been as disciplined as she has been to say this is a sad moment. Virtually every Democrat said this is not why I came to Congress. The president has been equally disciplined from the very beginning, not giving an inch on this. Remember weeks ago when so many Republicans said it was not proper behavior, but not impeachable? That argument, you know, it sounded uh, more reasonable and resonated with a lot of Republicans. That has gone out of the wayside. He has not given an inch on this like 
often. So he has framed this in a way which he has framed many debates, but I'm a little surprised, actually, um, and perhaps we shouldn't be, but thinking he would be able to control this entire uh, Republican apparatus. And I think I would say the only other moment of accountability probably came at the midterm elections in 2018. That was certainly a rebuke on him and his presidency. But we've seen many Republicans or many presidents, excuse me, of both parties lose uh, midterms. But this, you're right, is the first moment. And he doesn't Uh, like this. He will know that history will uh, mark this. But the politics of this are so uncertain. One thing I think, for all the talk about, oh, like moderate Democrats was a tough vote, I think it actually wasn't uh, a tough vote. It may be a tough consequence in the end. But uh, Democrats are unified behind this for now. Republicans are unified. What this means for politics in 2020, we simply don't know. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. And in terms of the midterm elections, it, it is a good point. I just don't think President Trump saw that as about him at all, even though, as you note, uh, midterm elections are very much uh, about uh, the president at the time. Uh, so that's the macro. I want to go to the micro for a little bit of what comes next now as this goes to the Senate. I want you to hear Mitch McConnell went on to the Senate floor today. He just lambasted uh, what the House Democrats uh, did last night, uh, thinks it's the uh, a completely thin and not at all a thorough process that was here. And he actually thinks we may see more of this in the future. Here's Mitch McConnell. If the Senate blesses this, if the nation accepts this, presidential impeachments may cease being a once-in-a-generation event and become a constant part, a constant part of the political background noise. This extraordinary tool of last resort may become just another part of the arms race of polarization. Abby, what do you make of McConnell's argument that he's clearly obviously pitching to America, but also, I think, pitching to his Republican conference, uh, as Jeff was saying about the unification of of the Republican Party here, I think part of the argument he's making to the uh, Collins and Gardners or any of the Romney, Murkowski, any of the potential senators that possibly could be on the list of people to watch that may vote uh, to uh, remove the president from office. And I'm not even sure any of them will. I'm just saying it sounds like he's trying to make this argument that this is going to chip away uh, at what impeachment is meant to be. Right. And I do think that he's He's potentially right about that in the sense that this impeachment might chip away at uh, what impeachments are in part because it it would end up being uh, accountability with no consequence and also with no contrition, which is different from the last time that we had this with President Bill Clinton, who actually did apologize for his behavior and acknowledge that he did something wrong. But what McConnell what McConnell's argument seems to really end up being is that unless you can uh, in, guarantee that there will be a sort of bipartisanship among Republicans and Democrats to remove a president, you should not even endeavor to do that. But in the Trump era, and this goes back to what we were discussing before, that really becomes very challenged because President Trump has proven that he uh, can do quite a lot of things without having any accountability from his own party, in spite of the facts. So that's the counter argument for the McConnell uh, comments that in a normal era, I do think that there will be would be some grappling with the facts here about what did the president do? Did he seek a foreign government to try to intervene in the president election? 
right now that conversation isn't happening at all among Republicans. And that's why it's not bipartisan. And that's why it's a problem for impeachments in the future, because Trump, it's not that he's Teflon. It's just that he is the leader of his party and has a stranglehold on his party. And Jeff, uh, to that point that Abby's making about, well, in some other universe, there might be actual consideration of of the facts here. Chuck Schumer is now sort of taking a page out of the Republican House playbook. I guess this is what the minority does and goes to process here. And he's arguing that there should be witnesses in the Senate trial. And by the way, the recent ABC News Washington Post poll suggests that Americans are overwhelmingly on board with that idea. And that is the open question to this. For all that we think we know uh, how this movie ends, of course, it was, you know, a preordained vote in the House, you know, given weeks of testimony and things. We do not know actually where the next uh, story line of this is going. One thing that I can't help but think will factor into this is President Trump himself. When he goes to Mar-a-Lago, Florida, as Abby knows, and I know, and everyone who's covered him down there knows, he comes into contact with so many people, a variety of friends, other hangers-on, other things. He'll be sitting and stewing, as we know, about impeachment for almost two weeks. How does he come back in January? Maybe he will want a trial. And does that sort of complicate things for Mitch McConnell? Because obviously McConnell, Lindsey Graham, others are trying to make this narrow. But President Trump likes a show. So I don't know that we are certain of how this will go in January. It may be largely based on the president's mood. Are we sure he doesn't want witnesses? Well, it's we, not good for him. But I think he wants witnesses. I mean, he the the fact that there that McConnell has gotten the president to agree to no witnesses has not been without effort. I For mean, sure. McConnell has... And not just McConnell. Some of his own aides think also the wiser thing to do here is to have a faster trial without witnesses, abs- right? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, Preet Bharara, who uh, uh, is a very good lawyer and understands this very well, said uh, this week that uh, counter contrary to what people believe, sometimes the best case of defense is making no case at all. And that is what Mitch McConnell is doing. He is saying, we are not going to defend the president. We're just going to say there is not enough evidence to convict him. And that's from a legal perspective, the smartest thing to do. But from President Trump's perspective, he wants to be vindicated, not acquitted, which he likes to show. No doubt about it. Guys, we have so much more to discuss. Stay right there. We're going to have a quick preview of tonight's big Democratic debate when we come back. Welcome back to the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. I'm David Chalian. My CNN colleagues, Abby Phillip and Jeff Zeleny, are still with me. Before we turn our attention to tonight's Democratic debate here in Los Angeles, I didn't want to let us um, miss out on talking about the president's comments last night in Michigan. And I'm always torn when the president says something so outrageous about how much attention to give it, if it's clearly designed to distract and he doesn't want the impeachment headline. But this was so egregious uh, of a statement, I thought, about what he said about uh, the late Congressman John Dingell, the late uh, dean of the House of Representatives, whose widow, Debbie Dingell, still uh, serving in the House of Representatives. I, I want you to hear uh, how he talked about Dingell last night at his rally in Battle Creek. Debbie Dingell, that's a real beauty. So she calls me up like eight months ago. Her husband was there a long time. But I didn't give him the B treatment. I didn't give him the C or the D. I could have. Nobody would have, you know. I gave the A-plus treatment. 
Take down the flags. She calls me up. It's the nicest thing that's ever happened. Thank you so much. John would be so thrilled. He's looking down. He'd be so thrilled. Thank you so much, sir. I said, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Maybe he's looking up. I don't know. Now, that actually sounded like a bit of a mixed kind of reaction in the crowd. If To my ears, uh, it was not all uh, raucous cheering from his base here at Michigan. Uh, but the notion that John Dingle would be in hell and looking up and not down. What, Jeff, what do you think the president was up to with uh, this particular insult? You know, look, he was trying to uh, throw out a shiny object so it would be talked about. And it is a good question. Should we talk about it or not? I think we make note of it and move on. So as we do that, look, it's an inhuman and indecent type of comment. The thought of uh, and again, it shows that he's constantly of the mindset of if I give you something, you must give me something back. It is this, uh, you know, I guess the words uh, you're welcome or not in his lexicon here. But look, I think he is trying to get under uh, Congresswoman uh, Dingle's skin Um John Dingle, Mr. Dingle, the dean of the house, uh, was uh, beloved in in Michigan. So I think that I'm guessing a lot of people in the crowd were sort of stunned and not sure how to deal with this. But I will say one thing. Stephanie Grisham, the White House press secretary, was asked to defend this. And she went back to this really tired talking point that the president is a counterpuncher and that he was on the defense and that he's being attacked politically. And so therefore, it is perfectly normal for him to do what he did. And I just think it needs to be said that that is not it has never been an excuse, but it is really, really not an excuse. And at this juncture, to hear people continuing to defend this kind of behavior by claiming that because the president was attacked politically, that he has to um, attack people in really, as Jeff put it, inhuman and indecent ways is really unacceptable. And every time that someone like Stephanie Grisham uses that excuse or a Lindsey Graham uses that excuse, that is condoning the behavior. That's what it is. Joe Biden tweeted and called it pathetic. It was one of his descriptions about it. And I I did think, as we turn to the debate now, I did think this is exactly the kind of behavior that Joe Biden is trying to put front and center in his pitch to Democratic voters. When he talks about fighting for the soul of the country, uh, I know he talks about Charlottesville a lot, but it is he talks about the president's behavior and that the country cannot handle four more years of this. Uh, to me, and I, in the tweet, I kind of saw, here's Donald Trump once again sort of playing into Joe Biden's message. For sure. And we've seen that several times. The question is, um, are voters, have people become so used to, oh, that's just how President Trump is? Oh, you know, people have grown accustomed to sort of overlooking that. So for Democrats, yes, it definitely works. But I do think that, um, you know, Michigan is a battleground state. It's why President Trump was there in the first place. And that, Vice President Pence. For sure, which they are often traveling together now. Um, I'm at these rallies because uh, the president needs to be introduced by him, I guess, uh, which I'm sure the vice president is more than happy to do because it's job security. But I think that going on forward, this has played into Joe Biden's message. And as we end the year here and look, you know, really the voting for 2020 begins in 46 some days. Vice President Biden is incredibly resilient, I think, in part because of what is going on in the split screen of President Trump. That is in every voter's mind when you talk to them. Uh, people may not think Joe Biden in a perfect world, if there was an open seat, they would pick him. But it is the idea of a sitting president um, also on the ballot and and Joe Biden in comparison to him, which I do think has propped Joe Biden up a lot. 
Abby, I mean, we see that in our brand new CNN poll that is out today. Uh, he is uh, Biden is still overwhelmingly seen by Democrat by Democratic voters, Democratic primary voters as the candidate with the best chance to beat Donald Trump. To Jeff's point in thinking about that split screen, which is such a high priority for Democratic voters to get rid of Donald Trump. So that is that's not just a oh an electability attribute. It's actually a driving force in this race. And part of what is keeping Joe Biden on top of the field uh, in this poll, he's at 26 percent, uh, followed by Bernie Sanders at 20 percent. But he's got that top tier national frontrunner status that he's never let go of, basically, for the entirety of the last year. Exactly. And he has and, and continues to have the broadest coalition of any of the candidates running right now. It isn't just that there is some segment of the population that believes very strongly that he is maybe the most electable or that uh, he's the best uh, person to go up against Trump. It's that a lot of different segments of the Democratic uh, base believe that to be true. And that's what's made it very difficult for some of his challengers to come up against him because they might be able to pick off uh, white college educated voters, but they can't pick off African-American voters. They might be able to pick off a little bit of the sort of middle age voters, but older voters are sticking with him. It's it's very it's become very difficult uh, to uh, to undermine Biden because he has a lot of uh, wells to draw from. And I in some ways, there were some questions at the beginning of all of this about would Ukraine as a concept, the Hunter Biden issue, uh, undermine his electability argument? And I don't know that we've really settled on that question. However, I do think that that uh, Biden has tried to pivot by saying Trump was willing to risk it all to not go up against me in 2020. And on some level, I do think voters heard that message because that is ultimately what this is about. Trump is has been impeached because he was trying to dig up dirt on Joe Biden and no one else. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. Jeff, what are you uh, what are you looking for tonight on the debate stage as these seven candidates uh, take the stage and close out the 2019 debate series? I think a lingering question is, uh, Pete Buttigieg, will candidates really try and continue what they've been doing to a bring him down to size and b define him? Uh, he's sort of eluded that. He's very calm in his responses to this. But uh, I'm wondering if uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders will continue that. But I think my eye really is on Elizabeth Warren herself. She has had a, a fascinating rise throughout the year, then a bit of a plateau, all because of health care. Health care is still, as we close this year, the defining issue for Democrats. It is the it shapes all of the big decisions. So uh, Elizabeth Warren has been sort of you know changing her rhetoric somewhat about saying voters should have more choice and other things. So yes, she still supports Medicare for all, but she's sort of getting it on both sides here. She's not as pure as she once was with I'm with Bernie. So I'm looking specifically at her on health care and how Pete Buttigieg stands up to all this. Also, Amy Klobuchar, don't take your eye off her. People in Iowa like her. We'll see if that lasts. Yeah. And I would say Joe Biden has been quietly uh, nudging at Pete Buttigieg for several weeks now, putting out endorsements in Indiana, uh, putting out uh, strategic in endorsements and press releases aimed at undermining his case. So will Joe Biden get in on some of the Pete Buttigieg uh, efforts to kind of bring him down to size? And also, yeah, Amy, for the most part, Joe Biden likes to hang back. He doesn't usually do that. And, and I do think Amy Klobuchar, uh, as Jeff said, that's a huge question tonight. It, can she do anything to get in this game nationally, uh, where, as in Iowa, voters are really paying attention to her? And I do think one of her bigger challenges actually is a Pete Buttigieg. A lot of voters I talk to, uh, they like her 
they like him uh, and they are kind of on very similar levels for some of those voters uh, in Iowa, which has become very important for her. The other huge challenge for her, probably more so than for any other candidate is the impeachment trial in the United States Senate that she is going to be trapped in six days a week come January and not in Iowa day in and day out. There's so much you can do with TV ads and surrogates, but Amy Klobuchar, the candidate who all these Iowans seem very open to, is not going to be able to be there full time the way candidates normally are who want to close strong in a campaign. It'll be fascinating to watch. Jeff, Abby, thank you so much for joining me on the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. We'd also like to thank you, our listeners for tuning in. Remember, we've got an episode for you every weeknight, so please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And while you're there, leave us a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. We'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.